Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Ishmael Kawaja. It's Wednesday the 3rd of July. Coming up, patients misinformed about medicinal cannabis. It was kind of like, yeah, you can you can have a medicinal cannabis from the 1st of November, it's going to be available. And all of a sudden, 1st of November arrived and nobody knew anything about it. Nobody had any stock. Lorry clamping trial made permanent. This is terrific news for us at Ashford because it enables us to ensure that uh, inappropriate antisocial parking in residential areas is no longer permitted. And wartime shelter found in back garden. To us, it doesn't seem daunting and scary, but back then it wouldn't have been something that's such a joy to have in your garden. Kent Online News. First today, the mum of a little girl from Kent with a severe form of epilepsy says a change in the law around medicinal cannabis was brought in too quickly with no education. A report by a group of MPs says recent legislation was communicated badly and unfairly raised patients' hopes. The Health and Social Care Committee is now calling for clinical trials focusing on the treatment of children to take place as a matter of urgency. Emma Appleby from Elsham has been stopped from bringing cannabis oil back to Britain from Holland for her daughter Tegan twice in recent months, but still doesn't have a prescription. I think the problem was the law was changed very quickly. Um, and there was no education given to anybody, um, and it was kind of like, yeah, you can you can have a medicinal cannabis from the first of November. It's going to be available, and all of a sudden, first November arrived, and nobody knew anything about it. Nobody had any stock. It was just all very very quick, but no planning behind it really. What what is it that needs to be changed in order for it to be better um, communicated? A lot of people are asking for trials. Um, which are normally done a couple of years before medication gets released. Um, so we haven't had any trials on medicinal cannabis, even though the group of children that we're working with and are paying have all offered their children as trials um, because we're, a lot of them are taking medicinal cannabis at the moment privately um, and they can't get any evidence until they have trials. So it's very difficult if they're not going to take our children as, as trials, then how can we prove it works? In a trial, if that makes sense. So, so you feel that the the process itself hasn't been well put together from the start, and that these trials, obviously, if they were to be put in place, would ensure a smoother transition. I think so. Yeah, it is basically lack of lack of information, lack of education. Um, it is a new drug, but it's proven in some cases that it helps. Fatigue, it definitely helps. You know, she's gone down from three hundred seizures a day to a maximum of about 10. So that might still sound like quite a lot in one day, but from 300 to 10 is a massive, massive improvement. And not just in seizures, but her quality of life has dramatically improved as well. And there's other children in the country that are using the medication that have agreed the same thing. Some of them are seizure-free completely. So, you know, these, these are, this is our evidence. This is our UK-based evidence at the moment. These children are either seizure-free or a massive reduction in seizures. Do you feel it's given almost a full sense of hope? Yeah, definitely. I, I, was, I was sure that when I fought so hard back, like, back in the end of last year when Tegan was poorly, when it became available, I was like, yes, brilliant, we'll finally have it. I had to fight to get Epidiolex. So that, that took me a threat and legal action to get Epidiolex. I finally got that when it stopped working and I asked for, for an extract of cannabis oil. They said they couldn't prescribe. And this was in April. So I was like... It doesn't make sense. How can you not prescribe it? It's, it's legal, but nobody will prescribe. The issue I'm facing now is the funding. 
I've got a doctor willing to prescribe on the NHS that has said, I want to prescribe medication, but the NHS haven't agreed to pay for the medication, so they can't. Until I get funding agreed, nobody can prescribe. Kent Online reports. Elsewhere today, it's emerged a teenager who fell from a bridge over the M20 was expecting a baby. 18-year-old Yasmina Howard from Maidstone died last October, 15 years after surviving a seven-storey fall in her mother's arms. An inquest into her death has heard she was 14 weeks pregnant at the time. Marvel have refused the Kent family permission to put an image of Spider-Man on their son's grave, saying they don't want their characters to be associated with death. Four-year-old Ollie Jones from Barming, who was a huge fan of the superhero, passed away last December from a rare genetic disease. His dad Lloyd says they're gutted at the news. The parents of a mentally ill man who's been forced to move hospitals more than 100 times in 11 years, so they want him brought closer to home. 47-year-old Mark Varian was admitted into psychiatric care in 2007 and is now at a clinic in Northampton, 150 miles from his mum and dad in Broadstairs. The Kent and Medway Partnership Trust insists they support patients and their families when they're moved out of the county. A trial scheme of clamping lorries to stop them parking in parts of Ashford overnight has been made permanent. Almost 3,000 HGVs have been caught on the A20 between Charing and the Drovers Roundabout and on four industrial estates since the scheme started in October 2017. The government have now confirmed the first trial of its kind in the UK can continue indefinitely. Harry's been chatting to Paul Bartlett, who's the deputy leader of the council. We received a letter on Friday uh, confirming from the Department of Transport that the lorry clamping scheme has been made permanent. And this is terrific news for us at Ashford because it enables us to ensure that uh, inappropriate antisocial parking in residential areas is no longer pr- permitted and we can charge a £150 release fee for lorries that do that. And given the expansion that's going over at the truck stop, is the message now that you know there is no excuse, you have got somewhere to go? That's exactly right. And the Department of Transport were very clear that other towns in Kent will be able to do a similar thing if they have similar lorry parking for uh, lorries so that they can pull off the road. And it's very important for lorry drivers that there are facilities because they have to follow the law and stop driving after nine hours. And that survey that was done originally and the stats that came back from from the trial and subsequently from that it was quite staggering to show just the scale of it if you could just kind of remind me what was found from that. Yeah so we clamped uh, nearly 3,000 lorries and it's an extraordinary number over an 18 month period and it just shows the size of the problem and how disruptive it was for people's uh, lives in Ashford. They were blocking drives, they were acting irresponsibly, they were creating litter uh, and often staying for a whole weekend, so arriving on Friday, leaving on Monday morning and it wasn't good for the quality of life of people in Ashford. And you know everyone well not everyone but lots of people will be looking into us and say well it's foreign lorry drivers they'll do what they like but that isn't the case it is everyone that's unfortunately yes. taking part in this. Yes that's absolutely right we find UK and lo- and foreign lorry drivers uh, equally and it's very similar it's very dissimilar to the system that the police operate on f- on speeding um, lorries on the M20. Now the big difference between Ashford's scheme and the moving uh, traffic violations which are enforced by the police is that the police have said that they will not 
um, fine lorries who speed or tailgate on the M20 where it's um, down to two lanes for operation stack. And I think that's dreadful and I think the police should learn from the example of Ashford. And just finally, how much of a change or how much of a benefit will it make now that, as you say, it has been made permanent? Well, it's now a permanent scheme for Ashford and we hope that it will be rolled out to the rest of the county. There's no evidence of displacement that lorries move over to Folkestone or Maidstone and we think that the scheme is very good for ensuring that lorries are parked appropriately. But Heidi Skinner from the Freight Transport Association says more needs to be done to provide enough places for lorries to park legally. What we would like to see is better and more driver facilities across the entire county. We know from government studies that there's over a thousand spaces that are required in the county. So we appreciate there has been an increase in the Ashford area, but what we want to see is more across Kent and across the entire country. And on you wanting more spaces across the county, the deputy leader of Ashford Borough Council is now kind of saying, well, use us as an example and we should now roll this out for the rest of the county. That given Kent's kind of role in the freight world, that seems, but to you, does that seem quite a scary proposition they're proposing now to do what they were doing in Ashford, but everywhere else in Kent as well? Well, what we would like to see is, is the facilities first, and then we can have a conversation about additional needs with clamping, because it's absolutely vital that we have more facilities in the county. These drivers are doing a wonderful job. You know, freight is touching every part of the county, north, south, east and west. So it is vital that we have the facilities first, and then we can look at the schemes as they come on board. And do you think this scheme is helping or hindering essentially just people going about and doing their business because obviously there's the side of things that affects residents' lives is what they say but then ultimately these guys are going out and doing their business but then they have to stop somewhere eventually. Yeah, it's mandatory for drivers to take breaks and it's vitally important that people realise that. If we want food in our supermarkets, if we want medicines to reach our hospitals, then we need freight to move across counties and, and, and the country. So we do need to, to put these provisions in place. And as I said, we want to see more drivers' uh, facilities in place before we, we have those clamping bans. Kent Online reports. The family of former Gillingham boss Justin Edinburgh have said a memorial service will take place later this month. The 49-year-old, who managed the Jills for two years from 2015, died in June after suffering a cardiac arrest. A service will take place at Chelmsford Cathedral on the 16th of July. Kent County Council will have to wait at least another month to get back their £263 million pension investment with an equity fund. The authority is among those with a stake in Neil Woodford's fund, which was locked after bosses tried to withdraw their money amid concerns over its poor performance. It's feared further delays are also likely. Work started on testing the land along the route of the new Lower Thames crossing that will eventually be another road link between Kent and Essex. Nicola's been finding out more from the development director for the crossing, David Manning. We're going to be undertaking ground investigation at over 700 locations along the length of the route, spanning from Kent all the way through Furrock and Essex. The ground investigation will typically consist of tests to determine what the soil's like and what the water conditions are like beneath the feet of the project. And we'll be certainly going down and investigating the soil down to depths of around 100 metres. And how important is this phase? Getting a real clear understanding of the ground conditions and how they'll behave when we construct Lower Thames Crossing is really important. 
We're going through the planning application process for our project at the moment and looking towards submitting our plan application soon. For this, we need to have a really robust um, set of assumptions around the ground conditions as part of our planning application. And for those of us driving around Kent, maybe in that area, or if we're travelling over to Essex, what might we see? Is it going to be very obvious that you're there doing some work? No, not really. The vast majority of the ground investigation will be undertaken on private land. And our priorities absolutely have the smallest impact on the communities and the environment. There will be some traffic on the roads, but we're really going to keep that to a minimum. Um, what um, do you do once you've got all of those test results? You say that's going to be going on until kind of the end of this year and you've got 700 sites to look at. What's the next phase after that? So once we've got all the test results, we'll go back and re-look at our design um, and make sure that we have the most robust p proposal as possible as part of our planning application. We're absolutely focused on delivering a scheme to the in our planning application that, that can be delivered safely to budget and to cost. I presume this is all designed to try and prevent there being any problems further along the line when the actual construction of the tunnel takes place. Is that right? Can you kind of spell it out in layman's terms for us? Those of us who haven't ever built a road or kind of planned a project on this scale before because it is quite an, an epic challenge, isn't it? Absolutely. The more we do now to develop the solution and get it right, the better the better chance we give to contractors um, to um, deliver this project without, without any interruption. We're absolutely focused on getting Lower Thames Crossing open for traffic by 2027. Now, of course, this tunnel isn't just going through land. It's going underneath the River Thames as well. So how do you test the ground under the Thames? So towards um, autumn this year, we'll, we will be having barges in the River Thames that will be undertaking both an intrusive boreholes where we drill down through the riverbed and test the soil, but we'll also be doing um, geophysics, which is uh, radars, which will actually go and um, give us a clear photograph of what the ground conditions are like. So we will be testing across the land and the river. OK, so that's something we may see a little bit later on, that you will actually have some barges out in the Thames and that work will be, will be taking place then. Certainly, yes. L our website, lowerthamescrossing.co.uk, is a really important information portal for anyone that's interested about the project or anyone that wants to get in touch and know more about this phase of ground investigation. Um, on there you can find contact details as well to come and speak to our professionals um, and we're out on site and we're welcome to speak to any members of the public that want to know anything else. Kent Online News. Plans for a multi-million pound regeneration project in Canterbury have taken a step forward. The Riverside development will include a five-screen cinema, bars, restaurants, student accommodation and almost 200 affordable homes. The company behind the proposals has now exchanged contracts with the city council. Construction is due to start in the autumn and should be finished in 2023. A group of Morris dancers from Rochester are joining a march on Parliament later this month to protest a change in the early May bank holiday. The government's moving the date next year to commemorate the 75th anniversary of VE Day. But it's causing problems for organisers of events like the Sweeps Festival, which normally take place over that long weekend. A Medway couple renovating their new home have made an unusual discovery in their back garden, a perfectly preserved wartime shelter. The set of stairs leading down to the brick-built Anderson Shelter were uncovered when Hugo and Emily Lassorde removed a greenhouse and its foundations outside their house in Rochester. Emily told us what it was like to find it. It was really interesting because you automatically start thinking about um, what the people 
were like that lived here um, and what their experiences were like living in this house knowing that there were perhaps bombs that could potentially drop down at any point. Um, it can be really fascinating to think to us it doesn't seem daunting and scary but back then it would have wouldn't have been something that's such a joy to have in your garden because um, it represented um, more of a difficult time um, obviously we're really grateful to have this piece of history and hopefully to sort of bring it back to life and, and keep it as part of the house. We contacted the estate agents to let them know that we discovered this in the garden um, in the hope to um, inform the previous owners um, who then wrote back to explain that they were aware of it um, and funnily enough they also had found um, a link to um, a granddaughter um, who had extracts of a diary of a young boy that lived here um, who within the diaries had spoken about the air raid shelter. We've yet to get our hands on a copy but we're hoping to um, get a copy to maintain with the house as part of its story. I'm hoping to convert it to a wine cellar. We did talk for a little bit about um, other ideas, um, a little play den area for when our daughter gets older but we're thinking a wine cellar would probably be the best <laughs> best for us and everyone <laughs> coming to visit us <laughs> and finally today dreamland is celebrating turning 99 with giant 99 ice cream the margate amusement park has marked the start of the countdown to their centenary by creating the giant treat using 40 liters of ice cream and a huge cadbury's flake celebrations will continue on saturday when they give away 99 normal size 99s to visitors that's it for now but for more news throughout the day you can head to kentonline.co.uk news you can trust this is the kent online podcast